This week, we take a look at the Masonic Service Association of North America's short talk bulletin titled, The Church and the Lodge as They Meet in the Man. Then we take a deep dive into Psalm 133. Stay tuned, won't you? Welcome back to The Ways of Virtue, a podcast where all things Masonic are discussed. Here's your host, Roland Morales. This short talk bulletin was provided by the Masonic Service Association of America and was given as an address at the luncheon of the Conference of Grand Secretaries of North America at Kansas City, Missouri on February 20th, 1964 by the Reverend Forrest Haggard, Grand Chaplain of the Grand Lodge of Kansas, who graciously permitted its reproduction in this form. The short talk bulletin is as follows. There seems to be today a considerable hue and cry about the status of Freemasonry in the eyes of organized religion. This is not a new subject. I do not consider it to be the most important area of concern for the fraternity and I most certainly am not an authority in this field. I am a clergyman and a Freemason, and keenly aware that the subject needs attention. At the outset, it needs to be stated that it is difficult not to rephrase old arguments or merely repeat what has been said before, and even more difficult to launch out into new ideas and still remain in sight of ancient and basic landmarks. Underneath my suggestions are certain basic suppositions. First, the Lodge. The fraternity is, to me, man's organized attempt in an orderly way to proceed in a direction of life that is oriented toward what he feels is creation's design for him within this universe. It is the reach of man toward God. Masonry is, of course, a fellowship of men, a system of morals and philosophy. In some of its original concepts, it was to be a center of union and the means of conciliating true friendship among persons who must have remained at a perpetual distance. Is Freemasonry a religion? Today, our literature is filled with statements as, it cannot be too strongly asserted that Masonry is neither religion nor a substitute for religion, or Masonry never intended to take the place of the church in modern society, for it offers no plan of salvation. And yet in the beginning the old charges read, But through though in ancient times Masons were charged in every country to be of the religion of that country or nation, whatever it was, yet tis now thought more expedient only to oblige them to that religion in which all men agree leaving their particular opinions to themselves. This is a concept that George Washington had when in addressing the bishops of the Methodist Episcopal Church. He said, I shall always strive to prove a faithful and impartial patron of genuine, vital religion. All of this is to say that to attempt to prove that Masonry is 
or is not a religion is to miss the point. I do not claim that the Lodge is a religion, and when confronted with this challenge, use it as a springboard to make a positive statement as to the true nature of the fraternity. Secondly, let me give you a definition of the church as seen in this discussion. This is difficult, as the various bodies of Christianity, for example, cannot come to a single definition among themselves. Certainly, the church is not organized religion. It seems to me that the founder of Christianity was martyred for one reason, because of his resistance to organized religion. The church, as I see it, is basically a people called out by God and blessed by His Spirit. In Christian faith, it is called the body of Christ. It is the reach of God for men. Now the main body of the fraternity seems to make an error in this definition. It is correct when it lists the opponents of the Lodge and names certain organized religious bodies, but it is not correct in stating that the church is critical. Certain of the clergy may be critical. The error of equating the church, especially in free Protestant tradition and its clergy, is not uncommon, but it is an error. Therefore, I cannot say that I say a conflict between Freemasonry and the church. I agree with Serza in his conclusion, which states, The question can rightfully be asked, Is there anything about Christianity or Freemasonry which makes them incompatible with one another? The answer is emphatically no. If a conflict exists, it does not exist within the body of Masonry, nor within the teachings of the church. It exists as these come together in the man. It can be a conflict as simple as that for time, energy, and talent of the human being, or as complex as the egocentricity of the laity or clergy who cannot tolerate any threat to their status as the chosen of God. It is at the man level that conflict or cooperation exists. The clergyman might see the lodge as a well-oiled machine which competes for the loyalty of the people, or he might see it as a handmaiden of his own purpose and ministry. The lodge might see the church as a divided, bickering, and somewhat hypocritical group of differing institutions, or as a people blessed by God. And let me digress just a moment and say that a lot of this conflict or cooperation finds its in its origin in the initial meeting between clergy and the fraternity. Too many clergymen have been solicited into the fraternity and had their way paved and paid by well-meaning but misinformed brethren. Such an approach only deepens the misunderstandings. It is far better that you explain the goals, history, and worth of the fraternity to the clergy when the occasion presents itself. This occasion might even be a time of misunderstanding, as at the graveside or following a sermon against secret societies. Gentle words of wise counsel and information are usually respected by a pastor, especially if they come from a man whom he may well respect. I have some suggestions that apply to this area of relationship of the lodge and the church within the man. These are based on the supposition that light is the cure for darkness and that knowledge is the remedy for ignorance. Number one, a program of education is urgent and necessary. 
It must be leveled first at the general body of masonry. Why? To combat the new and concentrated attack upon us by some of our ancient enemies. One of the latest books purports, as usual, to reveal the exact procedures in the degrees of the fraternity. But it differs from other attacks in that this book is not aimed at the general public, but at the average nominal Blue Lodge Mason. It is well written and calculated to lower his estimation of his own institution. We need new and positive literature aimed at the general body of our fraternity, and more, such a work as might be titled The History of Freemasonry in America, or Freemasonry and Christianity, needs to be placed by proper jurisdiction in the public libraries of our communities and in the libraries of our Bible colleges and seminaries. This would certainly be a worthwhile project for the public relations or education committees of any jurisdiction. Number two, a continued look at the public ceremonies of the craft is in order. For example, the funeral service is under observation by a good many Masonic scholars. Most articles are critical of the ceremony. Among other things, it is claimed that the funeral ceremony invades the functions of the church and repeats the service which precedes it. It is inexpertly done, is theologically unsound, is a somber and melancholy thing, and is objected to by members of the clergy. In specific instances, no doubt all these may be true. I would agree it needs careful attention and restudy. But this and other difficulties will not be solved unless attention is given to the more basic problem, that of our changing culture. The problem of the funeral ceremony is only a symptom of a deeper problem that is tied in with shifting population, changing economic roles, and revolutionary advances in sciences and discoveries. I feel that few jurisdictions have ever really taken the time to study the pattern of things as simple as changing population from rural to urban, or to chart the growth, growth and loss patterns of their membership and lodges. In other words, a part of the difficulty in the funeral ceremony lies not in a theological or spiritual conflict, but in a failure to adapt old truths to a new situation. Number three. Last of all, we need to use our brethren who are members of the clergy. I appreciated the use of Dr. Daniel A. Poling's statement. I quote, I arrived at the decision that masonry is a vital and dynamic force in America and in the world for everything high and worthy to which my life has long been committed. And there is something more. Masonry occupies, in my opinion, a unique position of opportunity an obligation in the human order today. Unquote. Recently, both the state and national publications of the Christian Church, of which I am a pastor, carried a story and a picture of my own and our congregation's participation with the Masonic fraternity on the occasion of St. John the Baptist Day. Use the clergyman at every level of Masonic activity, but attempt to ascertain that he participates out of a love of the fraternity, and not out of a need of honor. Brethren, we live in a dark and troubled age. The forces of evil seem to be combined against the forces of good. 
our frame of reference has been twisted until what once was good now seems to be bad. The word square and its common usage is but an example. In this kind of situation, we need a good relationship between the church and the lodge. It is still true that our answer to opponents of the craft is good conduct, good works, and a noble example. And since both the church and the lodge is made up of men, it is within the man that this answer must be found. An uncrushable triangle that will form a solid base of support for the good things of our community can be formed by the union of the church, the lodge, and the man. And the key to this triangle is the man himself. It's been said many times and for many reasons that a course of Masonic education is necessary in our lodges. Now this course can be on the history of the fraternity. It could be a discussion of ritual or even a deep dive into the esoteric aspects of masonry. But all should agree that some sort of education is essential to our lives as Masons. And it might be even more crucial at this point in our culture, where we see an ever-increasing lackluster view of social institutions. Compare this to the view that younger generations today see the need for diversity and inclusion in society, and we can see that masonry is at a critical crossroads between apathy towards institutions such as ours and a need for such institutions for the survival of good in society. The central theme of Psalm 133 is unity, and David compares unity to three very special gifts, oil, dew, and in fact a physical place. So what better place to start when examining ritual or Masonic education than with Psalm 133? Let's take a look at it in its entirety. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, that went down the skirts of his garment as a dew of Hermon, and as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life, forevermore. What a beautiful piece of scripture, and how fitting this particular text is to our part of our ritual. Now, we all know that Masonry neither teaches nor promotes a particular religion, but we also know the importance placed on Scripture in the various degrees of Masonry. As Dr. Robert Elsner says, it is profitable to teach and instruct in order to obtain a better understanding of Masonic ritual. Now, let's dive into the Scripture. The first word, behold. Now, behold doesn't simply mean just to see something or to notice something. The word behold in Scripture is actually an admonition or even an exhortation. It tells us, in fact, it's emphatically urging us to take notice of something. In fact, the word behold is used well over 1,000 times in the Bible to call our attention to something very, very important. 
But what should we behold? We should behold how good and how pleasant it is. Good. In this context, we should take note that good refers to the goodness of God. But not only is it good, it's also pleasant. Not okay or so-so, but pleasant, full of joy. Next, it's good and pleasant for brethren to dwell together in unity. Brethren. Being of one family, not strangers. Think about when you refer to a brother, when you text him or call him. Do you call him brother with a capital B? Now to dwell. To dwell doesn't simply mean to sit by. It has a much deeper meaning. To dwell means to abide with, to remain with, or remain in. Put another way, dwell means to be fully present in a place or with a person or both. But how should we dwell? We should dwell in unity. Unity. This, brother, is the true gift of our Creator the gift he wishes us to enjoy, that we should be of one mind with one goal and one purpose. That is to be in harmony. What beautiful music different notes or chords brings us when they are in harmony with one another. So should we be in perfect harmony with each other. Unity does not mean that we should all be the same as in uniform. Our great creator wants people of differing backgrounds and classes to be in unity. This is what it means for Freemasonry to be a universal brotherhood of men. So how good and how pleasant is it for us to dwell together in unity? It's like the precious ointment. In biblical times, oil was an anointing element. But the oil used to consecrate priests was considered the most precious. Being in unity is like this precious oil that was poured out over Aaron's beard. You see, Aaron was a high priest, and the most special oil had been used to consecrate him as such. And it was not simply dabbed on his head. It was poured out over his head and ran down his beard. Such is the abundant gift of unity in God's plan for us. This gift of unity, David also compares to the dew of Hermon. The dew on the mountain of Hermon was always present, even in that arid region. This dew reminds us of the renewing spirit of our Creator, that newness of life that we receive every day. This do is another example of the blessing of unity that we have been provided. And just like the oil upon Aaron's head, the dew descended upon the mountains of Zion. Again, another example of the abundance of God's love for his people. For there, in that area, that physical place, the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. He doesn't simply just wish this blessing of unity for us. He is actually commanding it. 
This is how important the abundant blessing of unity is. Consider, brother, what other blessings would await us if we were able to obey this command? Is the fact that our Creator did intend for us to be alone appear anywhere else in our work? Does He provide any other gifts to us so that we may live abundantly? I hope this podcast or this episode inspires you to study Psalm 133. And I also hope that it encourages you to read both the opening and closing charges. That's why we have decided to call this podcast The Ways of Virtue. So finally, my brethren, until next time, may you live in peace and may the God of peace and love delight to dwell with and bless you.